conspiracy theories, eh? Wait till you get a load of this. Hello, and welcome to Cracked Sisters Conspiracies. We're a podcast that covers conspiracy theories, mysteries, and all of our spooky shit. My name's Jackie. And I'm Cassandra. And we are said sisters. Hello. Hello. I just saw you. All day. Hours ago. I, all day. We were together from 9.30-ish till about 3.30, and mm-hmm. here you are two hours later. We were in mm-hmm. downtown LA. Downtown LA. It was your first time in the jewelry district. What Never, did you think? Everything was so fucking sparkly. It I know. was blindingly shiny. Yeah, I forget. And it looks, it starts to like look warped after you stare at it for just a couple minutes. And everything just looks so fake. It does. It's weird. Yeah. But piece or two caught our eyes and mm-hmm. we all walked away with shiny new adornment additions today. to our rings yeah. yeah that was very exciting and then mom got one as a gift later in the day mm-hmm. she was surprised but i know it was all good it was it a good was day good. we went to bob's big boy for mm. lunch i hit the spot had a cocktail at noon that also hit the spot <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a productive and fun day and it was i'm fucking exhausted though i'm really tired i'm like my energy is so low i know like that's I'm ma- making soup because it takes no effort, <laughs> and then I'm gonna read a book and fall asleep on the couch. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. In anticipation of a paint at home party. Oh yes, tomorrow. we're gonna have that tomorrow for your birthday. Birthday. Because you're old. Thank you. The lady <laughs> at the jewelry place said I was not old. She was old though. Okay. Well, <laughs> then I told her how old I was turning, and she's like, "You're so young." Do you want to tell our listeners how old you're turning? Gonna be 36. Damn. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) You didn't even know how old you were. I did not. I forgot. You gonna tell the listeners how old you are? I am 29. I still have my youth. Just wait. Once you hit the the crest of 30, it's all downhill from there. I got like at least a year and a half for that. So that's pretty good. Did you say a year and a half until you're 30? Well, the crest of 30. Oh, well, okay. Whatever. What else do you mean by crest? Well, I meant just like once you get to 30, that's like you're reaching over into like the next phase. And then uh, that's it all being downhill from there. That's what I'm told. 30s have been okay. I'm looking forward to my 40s. That's when I'm really going to That shine. sounds weird. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I just can't picture you being 40. Yeah, me neither. Ew. Ew. I'm just going to stay 36 forever. How about that? Okay, mom. (laughs) But she was 29. Oh, my God. She's my age. (laughs) That's believable, mom. (laughs) But anyway, what is your topic today? My topic is the Circleville, Ohio letters. Now, you told us what it was, or you told us the title, but Uh I have no idea what the fuck that is. So I saw it on like a random conspiracy video on youtube and then i got a lot of information off of this one british guy on youtube i don't remember what his name was but he does a very in-depth video on it sure and then there's a million podcasters that have covered it apparently in a couple new sources and it's basically did you watch the series the watcher on netflix from last year no it had like uh jane what's her name the, I- the chick from legally blonde coolidge Jennifer, Jennifer Coolidge. Coolidge. I believe I she's that. in it. 
and then a guy and then someone else. So basically the premise of that and the premise of this is a town starts receiving very creepy letters. Like dear town. Like individuals. Oh. And like secrets are being revealed. <laughs> so members of the community are being watched. Okay. So and- so that that show was like loosely based on the events at in Circleville, Ohio. Oh, okay. So this is something that kind of happened. Oh, this 100% happened. It's okay. documented. Got it. But let's just talk yeah, about it instead of trying to paraphrase what it is. Give me some context. Okay, so Circleville is a city in Ohio, approximately 25 miles south of Columbus. I have never been to either of those. Like, where in Ohio did you live? I lived for the uneducated in Cleveland. For the educated, I lived in Streetsboro, Twinsburg, and Richfield. I know nothing about it. I know. That. It's all on like the Cleveland side. I worked in Cleveland. Cleveland rocks. That's what Drew Carey says. Okay. Well, actually, it's oh, yeah, he's from, from the show. MGK yeah. is from Ohio. That I knew. They they were really obsessed with MGK, the Browns, which never win, apparently. That's football. Okay. And then LeBron James. LeBron James, he's from Cleveland, Ohio. So Circleville <laughs> is most notably known for its annual Circleville pumpkin show. Like competitive pumpkin carving? Kind of I, I don't know. I didn't look into it. I think they just show off cool pumpkins. But yeah, I guess you could probably carve them to make them cool. As of 2020, the population was roughly 13,927. So it's small a very small town. town. In either 1976 or 1977, depending on which source you look at, the year varies. Same time bubble. Yeah. Businesses and residents started receiving handwritten letters in the mail exposing very personal information about the reader with threats if they didn't stop doing the bad actions that they were accused of doing. In the letters, recipients were being accused of domestic violence, affairs, embezzlement, and even murder. Murder! Many believe the real target of the letters was a woman named Mary Galipsy and a man named Gordon Massey. Mary had received over 40 anonymous letters over the span of 10 years. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll start with Gordon Massey. That's basically where our story begins. So he was a school superintendent of Westfall High School, and he was married and had a teenage son. On March 3rd of 1977, Gordon found a letter waiting in his box, and the letter said the following, quote, Dear Sir, according to my GF, you have asked her to go out many times. You have asked other female bus drivers, too. This must stop at once for the good of the school and families. If they are not stopped, I will be forced to write to the school board, and I would hate to do that. To prey on another man's girl is untouchable, especially when they're out trying to make a living. There is also talk of you dating a married woman and taking advantage of them. Do you need times and names again? I suggest you find yourself a pimple-faced whore and start up with her and leave my girls alone, end quote. So this is like Gossip Girl, but on a like Yeah, yeah, but like handwritten letter style, not text. Gossip Girl. (laughs) Circle Bell. (laughs) Massey continued to receive letters over the following weeks. In some of those letters, the writer threatened to slash his tires and cut his brakes. Damn. Yeah. The day after Massey's first letter, another letter showed up at Westfall High School, but this time it was addressed to the Board of Education. In that letter, the writer accused Massey of sexual harassment and said he doesn't take no for an answer and that he has a history of going from girl to girl and will continue doing so until he's investigated and fired. The letter ended saying, quote, I sure hope he does not upset my girls for his sake, end quote. Okay. So there's lots of bus drivers associated with this school. A lot of them are females and this 
Circleville writer is accusing Massey, the superintendent, of like sexually harassing these female bus drivers, making them uncomfortable, not taking no for an answer. Got it. Okay. It's a quick sidebar. School buses, that's not a thing. Like people don't get picked up by the bus and go There's to school There's a bus here. that drives by my house every day. I know there is one, but I don't think it's as big of a thing. Or maybe it is. And well, we I, don't, I never went on a bus. Kids. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like every John Hughes movie I've ever seen makes me think that no one gets to school unless they're on a bus. But I... I see buses all over. They got to be transporting somebody. I see a lot of empty school buses on the weekends. That's weird. That is weird. I mean, I was a bus kid only in the sense that I would take the public transport bus, not the school oh, bus. Oh, no. School bus, I only t- went for field trips. That was the only time I was ever on a yeah. school bus. But it's not like I didn't get picked up, you know, at the corner yeah. and taken to school. Yeah, I don't was, know. It wasn't a thing. I don't know how you get in that program. Right? Or is it just they have the designated neighborhoods that they drive around and you figure it out? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm more curious than I have any right to be. But, <laughs> but we don't care enough to look into no. it. <laughs> so it. a third letter showed up to the school later that day, which was March 4th, 1977. And this time it was addressed back to the superintendent or Massey. The letter said, quote, Dear Superintendent, this is to inform you several of your bus drivers are working under pressure due to their boss constantly putting the move on them. So at this point, we don't have any indication if these are founded or unfounded. Not yet, no. Okay. Some like it. The decent ones don't. Is he getting paid to run the women or run the bus lines? Again, I know. It's kind of uh, sassy. <laughs> okay, sorry. My mind went to a completely hard left after that. <laughs> Again, some move behind him because they need the attention and are weak. Should this position be filled by someone capable of taking advantage of his job, school, and people that work for him? Is this the type of family man we need in a position such as this? You should talk to them, referring to the bus drivers, and also him before something drastic happens, end quote. On March 18th, Westfall's vice principal got a letter saying, quote, I want to protect your school. It has a good reputation. You should keep it like that. I shall send you proof about bus driver number 62917. She has a child in school there now. I shall prove this shortly. I expect him to be discharged. You will see I'm telling the truth, end quote. So ominous and nefarious. So now we're going to talk about who is bus driver number 62917. Just this sounds like it's written by like a jealous, scorned PTA mom. I don't know. Yeah, it gets worse. Okay. <laughs> so that bus driver, her name is, as I previously mentioned, Mary Galipsy. So Mary was a local bus driver and was married to Ron Galipsy, and they had two children together. Mary's first letter, because she was now getting letters at the same time, okay. read, quote, Mrs. Galipsy, stay away from Massey. Don't lie when questioned about meeting him. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and I know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon. End quote. You're being harassed. Don't lie about it. Otherwise, I'm going to harass you. Yeah. Is that kind of how that reads? Yeah. It it is. So some like after I read a couple more, it kind of becomes apparent that they make really no sense. And it's kind of like a lot of believe me, I'm I'm telling the truth. And usually when people are posturing like that, it's because they got nothing. Like, why do you need to constantly verbally reassure that you're telling the truth and that someone needs to believe you? And they also this person always says I have I have proof of everything. Yeah, like what? But they don't show they never show the proof or indicate what it is. No. Or, okay. 
So the letter that Mary received had been postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, with no return address. Mary denied having an affair and kept quiet about the letter. So basically in the letter, that was like an abridged version. He's accusing Mary of having an affair with Massey, who was the superintendent. Got it. The letters kept coming and were coming more and more threatening. In one of the letters, it said, quote, I know everything. Call the sheriff. He can't watch you forever. RT3 Circleville, Ohio, 62917, bus number 474-730. I shall keep ringing. Again, this is no joke either. End quote. So confused. So the writer obviously knew Mary's address and the bus that she drove, which was her bus number and then the address. Like, I'm more concerned about this person, not the fucking superintendent at this point. (laughs) Mary continued to ignore the writer and his demands. And so he decided to send her husband, Ron, a little letter. So, like, he's trying to get to, at, at the same time he is sending letters to Massey, the superintendent. Yeah. He is not, like, getting the response that he wants or he wants to... I say he, I don't know if it's a he. The the writer wants to kind of up the ante and is now torturing Mary and saying, hey, I know you guys are having an affair. You need to come clean and stop it or else I'm going to do something and I have proof I've been watching you. He's not getting Fun. the response that he wants from Mary. Easter. So he's like, I'm going to tell your husband. Tell my husband what? So now, now we're going to talk about Ron. Ron Galipsy. <laughs> he received his first letter in April of 1977 and it was addressed to him. In the letter, it said, quote, Mr. Galipsy, your wife is seeing Gordon Massey. You should catch them together and kill them both. He what doesn't deserve to live. Fuck? End quote. That just went from zero to 11 <laughs> real quick. He told Ron about Mary cheating on him and warned that if he not do anything, his life would be in danger, saying, quote, we know what type of car you drive. A we. There's a we behind There it. is. We know where your kids go to school. And by the way, you're a cuckold. <laughs> P.S. I'm going to murder you for it. End quote. What the fuck? <laughs> so I feel like Ron's getting the real shit under the stick here. Really? He's like, I didn't cheat on anyone. Now you're informing me that my wife is having an affair with someone that I know. I'm going to die and I'm secretly okay with it. Right. It's, it's all, all wrong. So Ron's like, what the fuck? And he goes to Mary. He's like, I got this weird letter. She goes, oh, I've been getting letters. I didn't want to burden you with it because it's dumb. And then she denied having this affair affair with Massey. Which, I mean, on the surface does seem a little sus because if you got started getting shit like that and there was legitimately nothing going on, be like, look what the fuck I got. That's like the premise of every movie where a spouse is cheating and they're like movie obsessed. Did you ever see that? No. It's kind of like basic instinct, I think, where let's say your coworker is flirting with you and kisses you and you push them off. Sure. And you don't tell your spouse about it okay. right away. And then it just snowballs and snowballs. It's like this all could have been avoided had you just communication. People. And up in the beginning. Fun fact. Later, Mary did admit to having an affair with Massey. Oh, but she said it happened after she started getting the letters. Wait, what the fuck? <laughs> Which I don't believe, Mary. I don't believe that. It's a very <laughs> convenient out. But that doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Like, oh, d- d- the thought just never occurred to you. So now you get these letters suggesting that that's something that you were already doing. And you're like, I'm not. But you know what? Maybe the fuck I will. Right? Because that hasn't gotten you in enough trouble to begin with. So I was rooting for you, Mary. Ron believed her because he's dumb. And they're like, yeah, this is weird. Hopefully we don't get any more letters. On April 14th, Ron got another letter (laughs) (laughs) saying the following, quote, Glipsy, you had two weeks and you have done nothing. You're a big defender. You're also a pig. Make her admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast it on CB. 
posters, signs, billboards until the truth comes out. Only pigs ride motorcycles. How much money is this guy working with or this person? Like, are billboards expensive? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Good hunting in our red and white truck on your way to work. I followed him for weeks since last summer, and I have seen her meet him several times. You will see this is no joke, end quote. So he is just described Ron's truck saying, I'm watching you. I know what you drive. I watch them. I see her secretly meet up with him. I know they're still having an affair, even though I told you and you were supposed to do something about it two weeks ago and you've done nothing. On the back of the letter was finally a return address this time. It was 550 Ridgewood in Circleville, Ohio. That address, however, did not belong to the writers of the letters. It was Massey's home address. He's trying to show, hey, I watch you. I watch your wife. And I know where Massey lives. Here's his address. Trying to instill some credibility in, mm-hmm. in his claims, or we keep saying him, but it's just yeah, we, we don't know actually. So let's talk about the letters themselves. The English in him is not very fluent, and there are a couple spelling mistakes. So oh, I mean, that could be the average American. Mm-hmm. It could be someone very hurriedly trying to write mm-hmm. something. Or could be the- someone trying to throw off. Po- there's any number of yeah. There's a million different ways. So that in and of itself does not indicate anything. The writer also uses a lot of colons instead of the more appropriate commas or periods. Because they are uneducated. Possibly. (laughs) The letters are handwritten in all uppercase. They started out more rounded and later became more blocky. I wanted to show you a picture, actually. This sounds like a man just based on the all uppercase. I write in all uppercase. Well, you have a very masculine energy about you. (laughs) (laughs) Big dick energy. (laughs) So these are... Like, it started out like this, which I think is very feminine. It's got the slant and... And then it moved to kind of more blocky when it used to be a little bit more curved and... So that second picture looks like they're fighting some demons up in their head. Yeah, but they only do colons instead of commas or periods. That's like the The only punctuation punctuation that they ever use. And as I mentioned earlier, the letters were all postmarked from Columbus, Ohio. So that's kind of all we have gathered thus far about the letter writer now obviously ron and mary have been getting these letters and they've come together because it's not stopping they're like let's bring in our family so they brought in ron's sister karen fresher and her husband paul fresher and (laughs) so they're like hey everyone come over we need to have a meeting we're under attack (laughs) let's let's figure out a fucking plan here (laughs) nefarious letters so they all sat around and they worked on a list of potential suspects of who the letter writer could be what? what a fun day. That's what I was going to say. Like <laughs> such an awesome family get together. You know, guys, who do you think hates you? I mean, you act like just... we wouldn't do the same thing. 1000% would. <laughs> and we would have poster boards, a good list. We would. We're good people. We don't cause shit. We just exist in shit. That's true. So they all thought of <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm trying to convince myself. <laughs> <laughs> Say you okay? <laughs> Out of their little meeting, they all thought of a potential suspect as a bus driver named David Longberry. David and Mary have been friendly (laughs) towards one another. Longberry, Mary, sorry. Yeah, it was kind of hard. They obviously work together as bus drivers, but their friendship kind of got a little weird when Mary declined David's advances to be more than friends, and then the friendship just kind of went to shit, as it does. Whenever that line is crossed... There's no going back. Nope. 
David, being the writer, would explain why he was seemingly so obsessed with Mary and Massey's affair, as well as the relationship with Massey and other female bus drivers. Because if he liked Mary and he got rejected by her, and now she's having sex with the superintendent, he could feel scorned. And then also, as another bus driver, he could feel protective over the his other co-workers. The four family members decided that they wanted to scare off Longberry, so they found out where he lived and sent him letters saying they knew he was the letter writer and they would turn him into the police if he did not stop. A couple weeks had passed and neither Ron nor Mary had gotten any new letters. That reassured their beliefs that Longberry was the writer and they thought the letters had finally ended. As you see, I have way more patience. I was going to say, like, <laughs> on the surface, it sounds great, but anything that is too good to be true typically is... So several weeks after their letter to Longberry, Ron had been driving home and saw a sign on the side of the road with the same handwriting as the letter writer. The like more cracked out lettering? Yeah, or? the block lettering. Got it. The sign accused Massey of having sex with Ron and Mary's 12-year-old daughter, Tracy Galipsy. The fuck? Ron, obviously enraged, ripped down the signs and... More signs just kept popping up all over town, mostly along Mary's bus route for the duration of summer. Oh. Which he did threaten in one of his letters. He said, if you guys don't do something, billboards, signs, newspapers. It's not a billboard. It's a handwritten posted sign. Much more cost effective. He was taking liberties with that. (laughs) But I mean, he did kind of stay true. Mm Mm-hmm. Obviously, all the people living in Circleville also were seeing these signs, and the rumors started flying. Was Massey a pedophile? Was he having sex with Ron and Mary's 12-year-old daughter? All that kind of stuff. Ron was severely emotionally distressed over all these signs and was getting desperate for them to stop. On August 19th, 1977, Mary and her sister-in-law, Karen, were out of town, and Ron was home alone with his daughter, Tracy. Ron got a phone call, and Tracy could hear Ron yelling at whoever was on the other side of the phone. Ron said, fuck this, grabbed his twenty-two revolver, and said bye to Tracy, and drove off in his truck. He just left her there? She's 12. It's the 70s. Okay. Oh, that, that really says a lot. Okay. That's where the latchkey arrow really started. I know, right? About an hour later, Ron and his truck were found wrapped around a tree on Five Point Pikes Road. <laughs> Five Point Pikes Road. Five Point Pikes Road. Yeah, there you go. Ron had not been wearing a seatbelt and was partially ejected from the vehicle and died on scene. I know, wear your seat fucking seatbelts, belt. man. It takes fucking 10 seconds out of your journey and it can give you so many more days. Just there you go. fucking do it. I, I agree. Ron's family believed that the letter writer had something to do with Ron's death. The coroner named Ray Carroll found Ron's blood alcohol content at the time of his death was 0.16, which is twice the legal limit. Because it's 0.08 for the legal limit. Okay. Oh, oh. that's Yeah. And he was a 0.16. Ron's family said that it was almost impossible and believed that the police were covering up what actually happened. He also cited the fact that the letters threatened his life and to cut his break. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I realize it. I fucked it up. Ron's brother, Paul. Paul oh. Fresher. He's like, Ron is not a heavy drinker. There's no way he'd be double the legal oh, limit. so he's discounting what's being... Yeah, and he goes, there's no way. It was obviously just- the letter writer. The letter writer threatened to cut his brakes, to kill him, to do all these things. And now he's dead from a car accident. I don't believe it was alcohol-related. I think the letter writer did this. 
And according to Paul, the brother-in-law, police had agreed at first that there was foul play and they had brought in an interview to potential suspects with a polygraph, but the suspect passed the polygraph and police released that person and would not name them. So you've had a polygraph. We actually talked yeah. about this briefly today. What is the experience like? Is that something that you could, you think, fake your way through or like control yourself enough to pass? I mean, if you really believe it, I guess you could. That's what they say is that if you believe that it's your lies are true, you can pass it. Polygraphs are bullshit. They're not admissible in court for a reason. They do it more to show... Is it like an intimidation? Yeah, honestly. It's, oh, if you're telling the truth, you didn't really kill this person, do a polygraph. It's all psychological. It's not really based in any sort of fact. So it's supposed to be spikes that indicate that you're lying. But also, my polygraph, they fuck with you. So they tell you that you're not being honest on one of the questions because, you know, you talk afterwards. And, like, that's part of their tactic to see how you respond. It's all psychological. It's bullshit. And, and like... What about things like anxiety? Do those play a factor? Because I'm like, you can ask me what my name is. I will tell you what my name is, <laughs> but I'll think that you think that I'm lying and mm-hmm. then I'm just going to freak the fuck So that's out. why they ask you baseline questions in the beginning and all this stuff just to try to gauge how anxious you normally are. Therefore, they can better determine when you're lying. It, it's bullshit. It's, it's pseudoscience. There's a reason it's not admissible. I think they're bullshit. So someone failing is not proof to me personally we don't use polygraphs on people because they're not admissible so what's the point no confidence that i would come out no. with anything with you know a positive no 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 they're terrible i fucking hate them so now after ron has died mary has to get on with her life oh that's right yeah her husband's dead and her kids at home alone yep well they figure that out at some point <laughs> so on february 2nd 1983 Mary was driving the school bus on her normal route, and she saw a sign along the side of the road that again accused Massey of being a pedophile and abusing Mary's teenage daughter. She's like, fuck this. So she pulled over. The sign was on, I took a picture, it was on like a post, you know, a real estate sign, how it has a post in the ground and then an arm. So it was attached to that arm that hangs out. But that's kind of what it looks like. So you have the post and then the thing. So she goes to pull down the sign that's on this post. And when she pulled it down, she saw that the sign had been attached to a box that was glued shut and there was a string outside of the box. What's in the box? (laughs) Basically. So she's like, "Eh, fuck it. And she rips everything out, puts it in her fucking bus, finishes her route, and she gets home. When she gets home, she's like, let's open this glued box. So she fucking like pries it open. Is there something dead in there? No. Okay. There's a gun. Oh. And the string is tied around the trigger. That's some saw bullshit right there. And the post was at either head or chest level, depending on how high you were. So what was supposed to happen, she was supposed to you were supposed it. to take the sign down oh. and when you, ri- not the whole thing. So when you rip the sign down, it pulls the string, which is attached to the trigger, which shoots you dead. What the hell? And she's like, oh, fuck, I almost died. <laughs> Note to self, just tamp down any curiosity <laughs> ever so she called the cops and they're like hey that was a booby trap you almost died quick side yeah. note so like booby trapping am i right in understanding that that concept is just bad news even if, if it's, it's your house it's legal so but- there was a story recently of a guy i don't know what state I, obviously i don't think california 
his truck got broken into like seven times in one month. Like they kept smashing out his window and even if there was nothing to steal. So he said, I'm real fucking tired of this. So he planted in the center console. If you open the center console, a flashbang goes off. So he did that and he set up a video camera and this guy fucking comes by, smashes his window, starts going through his car, opens the thing and the fucking flashbang goes off. Totally justified. It's your shit. You, you can, can you can that. booby trap your house all you want. Really? Mm-hmm. So Kevin McAllister was on the up and up. Mm-hmm. It's your house. You're allowed to defend your property. It's your castle. Okay. And, but that extends to like vehicles and shit too? I'd say yeah. If the only way to access the booby trap is to break into my vehicle. Okay. That's on you. It also depends on what state you're in. Like California is really shitty, but oh. a different state. Yeah, you can do what it's your property. You're allowed to defend your property in every okay. state. Thank you. You're welcome. So the police collected the gun and they were able to read a serial number that had been partially scratched off. Do you want to guess who the gun came back registered to? Okay, let's start with left side. Um, superintendent. No. Did it belong to the deceased husband? No. Did it belong to the suspected bus male bus driver? No. Longberry, no. Did it belong to Mary? No. She tried to kill herself? <laughs> maybe, maybe, because he's watching her. Maybe he broke in and That's true. stole That's true. it. No. She doesn't have it. Okay. Um, one of the other female bus drivers? No. Am I hot or cold? That's cold. I have not even like scratched the surface. No, I think you may have forgotten. There was two other people I mentioned very briefly in this story. Sister-in-law, brother-in-law? Uh-huh. One of them. Oh, it's sister, brother-in-law. Sister, brother-in-law. Yeah. So it was registered to Paul, his brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Police obviously went and talked to Paul. And he's like, yeah, I did purchase this gun. I bought it from my friend Wesley or my coworker. But the gun was stolen a while back. I just never reported <laughs> it. And Paul never asked for like a lawyer during this interrogation. Nothing. He's like, hey, you can search my home. You can search my vehicle. I'll provide a handwriting sample. I'll take a polygraph. He failed the polygraph. (laughs) Okay. Detainment 101. Shut your fucking mouth. I know. Good God. If you are ever in a situation, whether you did it or not, do not talk. Say nothing. Ask for a lawyer. Say nothing. And do not talk. Say nothing. That is the only thing you need to say is I want a lawyer. I don't care how innocent you are. Ask for a lawyer. Don't ever talk. Because even if you are completely innocent, you're going to like over explain and then just fuck yourself. Just shut the fuck up. Shut your that mouth. That is the best piece of advice I can give you. It's not legal advice. We can't give legal advice. I can't shut give legal mouth. advice, but I can give you life advice. And based on my life, shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> Could Paul be the guy, right? That just tried to kill Mary. So let's kind of break it down. Sure. So as so I Paul is Mary's brother-in-law. So Mary's sister is married to paul no ron's sister is married to paul but they're all in-laws as i said paul was married to ron's sister karen okay so he's he doesn't have any blood no he's he's marriage only yeah got it and apparently him and karen had kind of like a rough relationship before ron's death so before the brother-in-law's death paul and karen were separated They were having issues in their own marriage. As far as Ron and Paul go, they weren't super close. In-laws, they just kind of whatever. Mary and Paul were even less close because her husband's obviously not close with them. Why would you be close? So he kind of was having shit relationships with everybody in his life. Paul had worked at Anheuser-Busch and was a quality 
control inspector in Columbus, Ohio, which is where the letters have been postmarked from. Mm -hmm. He took the day off on February 2nd, 1983, which was the day of the booby trapping, even though he did have an alibi for most of the day, but I could not find out what his alibi was. On February 25th, 1983, Sheriff Radcliffe had Paul give a handwriting sample, as I mentioned, because he said, sure, I'll, I'll do that, whatever. Apparently, Sheriff Radcliffe gave Paul photocopies of the letters and said, copy these to the best of your ability. <laughs> Which is not how you give a handwriting sample, just so you guys know. How does that work? Are you just given a prompt and you're supposed to like write something? Yeah, or? so the, they might have you write what's in the letters. They might have you write uh, like a, a paragraph about something that would have the same letters in it. They just want to see how you write. They want to watch you write to see if you're actively trying to yeah, if you're change writing, your writing. You're not- you, they want you to just kind of flow to see to see how you are, to see what your writing looks like. Not, here's what I want your writing to look like. Copy it. Got it. Because then it's going to look identical. Like, I want to think that if you're going to be the type of person to send something, that you're going to actively... You're going to use a different... Than your normal. Yeah. Because of this. So then when you. Exactly. So then when you go, you have a normal handwriting. It looks nothing like it. I mean, otherwise, take it a step further and don't fucking use handwriting. Yeah. Type it. Do something. Word. Mm. Even then, though, printing, they can find your printer based on the paper you use. Typing. Do it on a fucking dot matrix printer. That's what everyone was using in the 70s. I don't know what that is. They don't have the technology to trace it back to what printer it was. And I'm saying just for today's standard. Today's standards. But yeah, that's too much information. There is. Fucking printer. I'm telling you, there's an FBI agent in there, too. (laughs) Not in your printer. (laughs) There's a network connection there, ma'am. That's true. Paul's writing obviously matched the letter since he was told to copy the letters. And based on that evidence, which I use air quotes, the sheriff Radcliffe charged Paul with attempted murder. That, no, that's not right. He was just doing what he was told. So, so now we're going to talk about his trial. He pled not guilty. Originally, he tried to plead insanity, but <laughs> doesn't really go into that much. But he said, nah, never mind, fucking not guilty. And the trial began. Apparently, handwriting experts had gone through his handwritten documents at work, which is a good way to That's do it, and were able to positively identify the writing in his documents to 494 of the documents slash letters slash evidence oh. that had been out there. So that was pretty, that was more. That's a more legitimate. Yes. Then, okay, copy this to the best of your ability. Oh, oh my God, he did it. Guilty. Yeah, I agree. With that, Paul was found guilty of attempted murder and sentenced to a maximum of 25 years. I don't know how many years specifically he was sentenced to. See, I, I want to feel bad for Paul because he has no self-preservation instincts. He's a fucking idiot. Whatsoever. But I also still don't know if he didn't do it. So I don't know how to feel. Well, let's continue. <laughs> Through the remainder of the 1980s, while Paul was incarcerated, the letters continued. So it wasn't Paul. Free Paul! (laughs) They were postmarked still from Columbus, Ohio, even though Paul was in prison in Lima, Ohio. Paul was put on mail restrictions to stop him from writing and sending the letters, as well as put in solitary confinement, but obviously this didn't stop the letters from being sent. Because it wasn't! (laughs) Is he sending them by carrier pigeon? (laughs) So finally, the jail staff were like, wait a second. (laughs) I think something's wrong. (laughs) So thousands of letters had been sent, and even some of thousands, <laughs> and even some of the letters contained arsenic inside. What the fuck? 
how, how a man in prison could get arsenic, I don't know. Okay, that seems pretty like clear to me. Paul became eligible for parole in 1990, but due to the letters still being circulated, he was denied. Which means... What? <laughs> So don't be inadvertently found guilty of a crime that you did not commit in Ohio, is what I'm hearing, because you're screwed. While in prison, Paul also received a letter. (laughs) I didn't mention it to myself. (laughs) Saying, quote, now when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there? I told you two years ago when I set them up, they stay set up. Don't you all listen? End quote. (laughs) Paul is like, help. So he reaches out to the FBI. He's like, yo, I need fucking help. He sends a 164-page letter explaining all of the events that he's aware of. He blames Sheriff Radcliffe. He's like, I shouldn't be in here. Even I'm getting letters. I'm obviously not fucking sending them. Right. But then he kind of like goes off on a tangent. And he accuses Radcliffe of keeping the real letter writer a secret because he was running for president of the National Sheriff's Association. And then he also talks about the prosecutor, about how he got a teenager or a person pregnant and then, like, killed her because she wasn't supposed to get pregnant. But so, like, he's taking this prime opportunity. Stay in your lane. And just just going everywhere. So you're peppering in other shit that's gonna overshadow and that makes you sound bananas yeah your focus again no self-preservation instincts get me the fuck out of prison i didn't do it here's the facts to support that to be fair i feel like you should stay because if if you can't help yourself how do you expect someone else to yourself and the rest of society i'm a hazard to myself because paul offered no proof of any of his theories the fbi declined to help him (laughs) but because he got all weird at the end. But man. Paul was eventually paroled in 1994. But how long was he in prison? His trial was in 1983-ish. So he did a fucking decade in prison. <laughs> I think he deserves it. And he shot himself in the foot along the He's way. He's dead now, by the oh. way. <laughs> did he shoot himself in the head? I didn't look into it. <laughs> by the time he got out of prison, the letters slowly stopped and then ultimately completely stopped by the end of the 90s. So now we're going to talk about other potential suspects if we don't believe that it was Paul. Okay. Yeah, because Paul's been the focus. Mm-hmm. I don't... As I mentioned a little bit ago, David Longberry, who was the co-worker and fellow bus driver of Mary. Apparently, in 1999, he went on the run after raping an 11-year-old girl. But that's just like a little fun fact. Okay. So he's kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> right? Like, that's a huge mark against him right there. The signs that were planted along the roads were placed after Ron had sent the letter directly to Longberry accusing of him being the writer and telling him to stop. The letters did temporarily stop, but if it was Longberry, why would he suddenly start posting all these signs? Yeah. Even if, because Ron's like, I know it's you. So if someone like finds you out, why would you wait a couple weeks and then continue doing the same exact thing? That just sounds dumb. I I don't know. The, the David one seems a little bit weird, especially to continue after Ron allegedly found him out. So now we're going to talk about Karen, who, as I mentioned, was Ron's sister, Paul's husband. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's super clear. Yeah, the family. As I mentioned at some point, Karen and Paul were separated. That's because Karen cheated on him. 
And then they ultimately got divorced. Paul sounds like a tool, though. So well, Paul that, sounds like a bitch. Sorry, Paul. Your wife cheats on you. You get like pinned for murder. That you didn't do. Cold. Yeah, I agree with that. During their divorce, Karen told the judge that Paul was abusive, but the judge ignored her and granted Paul sole custody of their children. Oh, wait. Which what? is like unheard of. So Karen was then kicked out of the house, lived inside of a trailer on Mary and Ron's property. Some people theorize that Karen planted the gun in the box to get Paul sent to prison because the serial number was only partially removed. She would have known that it was stolen or maybe she's the one that stole it, if that is a true story. And her husband's a weenie. And then once Paul went to prison, Karen regained full custody of her children and got to move back in the house. So, like, those are all pretty good motives. And it sounds like she just fucking hates Paul. (laughs) Now, this guy named Martin Yant. He used to be a journalist, and he now owns a private investigator company, and he's a native from Ohio. He believes that Paul was completely innocent, and he even wrote a letter of behalf on Paul for one of his parole hearings. Because I guess during his time, he also worked on the Innocence Project, which is like a, a project that helps get wrongfully convicted criminals out of prison. Okay take that what you may (laughs) martin believed that karen was not only the one who framed paul but she had been the letter writer martin had discovered reports of a yellow camaro and a male standing nearby the booby trapped sign area just before mary found it all right karen's lover whom she cheated on paul with looked like the description of the man and he owned a yellow camaro starting to stack up against right her name is karen it is she also visited paul's sister prior to him having been in prison and asked to use paul's typewriter she was using it to write a book she goes hey i want to use a typewriter can i can i borrow paul's the sister said sure at that time a couple of letters that had been received around town were typed of course they were instead of handwritten Paul's sister did not like Karen and said that she was manipulative and that she was always spreading negative lies about Paul. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Martin believed that there were two letter writers, one up until the booby trap incident and then one after because that's when Paul was incarcerated and that's when Karen was writing or Karen I don't know what he believes. He just believes there's two people. Karen was one of them and then someone else was a different part of them. Like they were in cahoots or one was picking up for the... No, so there was the letter writer and then the booby trap incident happened. Paul gets put into jail and then Karen picks up after Paul is put in, in prison. Interesting. I wonder what... But I think it'd be the, the reverse. Because if you just framed your husband, why would you give sufficient evidence that there's still... The real writer at large. Yeah, I don't know that I believe the two writer theory. It doesn't, logistically, it doesn't make sense to me. But that could make sense why there's two types of writing. One a more feminine, in my opinion, and curved block writing versus a more structured block writing. I don't fucking know. In 1993, Unsolved Mysteries was doing an episode on this mystery, and they received a letter. The letter said, quote, forget Circleville, Ohio. If you come to Ohio, El Sicos will pay, signed the Circleville writer, end the quote. fuck? So as of now, there's no real answer on who did it, and the case has been officially closed. Really? Yeah. What are your initial thoughts? Like- I don't think it's any of them. Any of the named suspects? Uh, maybe Karen. I think Karen... 
for framing Paul, I think that's a good one. As far as the original letter writer, David Longberry sounds good, but I think it's a male based on the language and just kind of the writings of it, the tone. I I don't I don't think it's any one of them though. Yeah, if it was going to be anyone, I would go with Karen as well. Mm -hmm. Just like you said, because she has more of an MO, more so than anyone else. Definitely wasn't Paul. I don't... No, Paul's just a fucking idiot. Yeah, so... Get it together. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I would not be a good detective. I keep telling myself (laughs) that I'd be so good at solving mysteries and crimes. I would be useful for like one component, and that's about it. Okay. Yeah, so that is the Circleville, Ohio letters. I have never heard of that. The billboard thing made me think of, I forgot what movie it was. Three Billboards. Yes. That was a great movie. It was so good. And it had I own it. Face from Fargo. From Fargo, yeah. Oh, it was, I really enjoyed that. Me too. It was long. And I mean, the material is upsetting. But, yeah. Um, what are you going to you know what? Yes. The, the journal is behind you. If you would be so kind as to grab that for on me. the ground. Oh, it was in the back of my truck previously. And Uh-oh. I remembered to bring it in in anticipation. I was thinking about Bigfoot earlier today. Only because of my neighbor. He is a Bigfoot <laughs> Amanda Knox. Ooh, that's a good one, too. Oh, was she the one from overseas? That, at, yeah. that would be good. You know what? Let's do this. Sure. That's a good one. Let me set a reminder. <laughs> While you're doing that, if you want to reach us, you can email us at crackedsistersconspiracies at gmail.com. We have an Instagram, which we are most active on. I post every week. Every time there's a new episode, you can slide into our DMs. Give us episode suggestions, feedback, but nice feedback. We have a Twitter and a Facebook. That doesn't count. And then we have a Patreon that no one uses. Um, but yeah, so that is how you can reach us. We want some suggestions. And I want feedback. It hasn't been posted yet by the time this one is released. It will have already happened. Is our Killers Quarterly, Quarterly Killers episode. I want to know what you guys thought about that. So yeah, the best way to give us feedback is through that. Venture. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Though. It was. I'm excited to do another one. Even though we have to wait 25 episodes. <laughs> That's true. Anywho. Stay cracked, y'all. Have a great day.